Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Hello and welcome to episode 275 of Let's Talk Loyalty. It's an exciting one for me today as I'm interviewing the author of one of my favorite books on loyalty. It's called Actionable Gamification by Yukai Cho. As a lifelong gamer, Yukai realized the strategic value that the world's best games offer to their players. And he developed a framework to clearly identify which human needs they appeal to. He's one of the earliest pioneers in the industry of gamification, and he's a regular keynote speaker and lecturer on gamification at organizations including Stanford University, Google, Tesla, Boston Consulting Group, among others. I'm delighted to have you, Kai, on today's show to share his work. The Octalysis framework he developed has become the Bible for many brands who aspire to the extraordinary levels of engagement that true gamification can achieve. I hope you enjoy this masterclass in gamification and how it applies to us as loyalty marketing professionals. So, Yukai, first of all, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. So happy to be here. Great, great. I said to you off air there that I, I am a fan of your work. Somebody did recommend your book, Actionable, Actionable Gamification, um, about five years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So I've been listening to and following your work for a long time. So I know our audience is going to be super happy to hear all of your um, expertise. But before we get into all of that, Yukai, as you know, we always start this show talking about a favorite loyalty program. So given all of your expertise, um, I would love to hear what is your favorite loyalty program? Yeah, so I've worked through a variety of loyalty programs, seen, experienced, analyzed. And I think my favorite one is one I did for uh, Porsche in Europe. And, and this was piloted in, in uh, Austria. So, uh, you know, car companies, what they're trying to solve is trying to ha- increase touch points with the customers. And, and this is very important, I think, a theme later on, which is loyalty shouldn't just be uh, transactional every few months. Yeah. You, loyalty is about a constant relationship. And so sure. what they want to do is how do you get people to interact with their brand more often? And so we help them design a loyalty program that's called Boneo. And what it is, is that first to, to use the app, you need to own a Porsche, right? So there's some barrier to, to get there. <laughs> okay. And then based on how you drive your Porsche, you know, in terms of driving safely, how you interact with other Porsche owners who have the app too, yeah. it will start giving you points. It'll start giving you re- little rewards to redeem. But more importantly, it also connects to the whole Volkswagen family and it allows you to upgrade to your next car more easily. So the Volkswagen family has Bentley, has Bugatti, it wow. has a variety of other car brands and that's, yeah. you know, Audi too. Yeah. So so it's you feel like you're getting integrated into the whole family. And mm. of course that creates loyalty, right? If you don't want to stick to loyalty to Porsche, you can actually still maintain loyalty to the other brands in the family. And what we saw was very cool was that uh, users spend 5.5 minutes in the app every single day while they're not driving, they're not allowed to use it while they're driving, but <laughs> after or before they drove, they played with the app. And so yeah. that was a goal that they were trying to accomplish that 
day-to-day relationship with their customer. Wow. I mean, that is, I think, the best answer I've had to the question, Yukai, honestly, when I think about um, that exceptional performance. I mean, such a sexy brand. I mean, we can't deny Porsche is exceptional. But as you said, it's also a family of brands. So I love that strategic thinking there that you talked about in that I might not drive a Porsche my entire life. So actually, how can I work within the family? So in terms of cross-sell and upsell, I think that's brilliant. And in terms of like, and I know you won't be able to share anything confidential, Yukai, but in terms of their expectations versus that reality, five and a half minutes a day to to spend in an app, which is, you know, obviously gamified for a brand exclusively. And again, it's not really to do with the fact that you buy a car for maybe emotional reasons, maybe functional reasons, but you don't buy a car to play a game. So how did that measure up to your expectations and maybe Porsche themselves? I think for a car company, uh, having their customers think about them on a daily basis uh, outside of just driving the car, I think is phenomenal. Yeah. And you see a lot of utility apps or, you know, if you spend, again, this is average, right? So this includes people who just come in and come out or don't touch it or whatnot. So, um, you know, most of the time, if it's over a minute a day on average, it's quite good because, you know, some companies don't have a minute a month. Right. (laughs) Um, So, so I think having 5.5 minutes means they're truly engaged. They're not just tapping it and say, all right, I'm just going to click here Mm -hmm. and redeem something or collect my coins. They're there because they're immersed in experience. And so I think that was uh, way beyond the client's expectation that we've seen enough uh, mm. implementations and our design. So we're not super surprised, but obviously we're happy uh, that it did come out the way it did. Wonderful. Wonderful. So listen, um, you are, dare I say, at the father of gamification. I don't know if that's a term you use, but, um, you know, certainly the world's leading thinkers, mm-hmm. I think, in fact, rated number one um, in what, three out of four years in terms of the, the global index of gamification gurus. So again, super excited to hear, um, first of all, the background in terms of how you got into, you know, marketing strategy and formulating this very structured thinking and very helpful thinking. Like, how did you, first of all, get into creating this Octalysis framework that you're going to explain for our listeners today? Yeah, so I wouldn't say I'm the father of gamification. I, some people call me the godfather of gamification, but <laughs> I'm not, I definitely wasn't the first person. I think okay. I was one of the, the different pockets and niches that have been exploring this passion. And uh, I was blessed enough to uh, have received a lot of recognition uh, for my work, but there are definitely people who started before I did who okay. didn't get as much credit. Mm. Uh, but I'd say my journey started in 2003, so almost 20 years ago, yeah. where I, you know, I was playing this game called Diablo 2, and I invested thousands of hours making my in-game character strong, accumulating points and gold and gear. And then at one point, my quit. My friends started quitting the game, so I quit too. And then I just felt extremely empty. I felt like, wow, I spent those thousands of hours accumulating and building and growing. But once I quit, all that is gone. You know, in, in life, I'm still you know, the same loser getting nowhere. So I just thought, how can there be an experience where, you know, like a game that can keep playing, but the more hours I spend on it, the better my real, my real life is. Mm. And also I was curious about, yeah, there are all these important things in the real world that I know I should do, but I just don't want to do. And in a game, there's no real purpose to play in a game. You know, there's all these things are fabricated and there's random stories. 
but I get so drawn to it. So it's like, can we actually learn from these games and understand how they draw your brain into that experience and apply it to business? Can business mm. uh, create experiences where interacting with them, buying from them uh, is as engaging as playing a game? So that started my long journey to gamification, created a few startups. And then I think a pivotal point was in 2012 when okay. I published my, my learning and insights onto mm-hmm. my blog, yukaichao.com, which is mm-hmm. called the Octalysis Framework. Yeah. And that was when things took off. Like it was organically translated into, I think, 16 different languages. Wow. And I started getting a lot of invitations to uh, teach and design the framework and consult on at places like Stanford University, Yale, Oxford, yeah. Tesla, Google, Lego, a variety of places. Wow. And, uh, you know, grew to where I, where I am today. Yeah, absolutely incredible story. Um, and yes, the framework makes so much sense at a human level. Um, so I will be very honest that I'm not a gamer. I know the demographics are changing in terms of gaming profiles. And I guess the the whole industry itself or the idea of gamification is probably a lot broader than what we might have thought about 20 years ago, for example, when it was just war games and World of Warcraft and all of those kind of things. So, so I know the genre has grown. It has definitely grown within our profession as loyalty, you know, loyalty marketing professionals. What I do think is um, we probably don't realize the depth of human understanding that needs to go into a gamification strategy. So that I know is a core belief of your own. I was watching your TEDx talk there, for example, before we came on today. So Given that there are eight core drivers of human behavior that are almost essential, I think uh, is what you might say for a good gamification strategy. I think we should just, you know, let you explain them for the audience so we can get a sense of and relate to them, I guess, as human beings as well. And any examples you have as well, of course, Yukai, in terms of maybe a loyalty program that has, you know, leveraged a particular core driver would be super useful. Yeah, so... First of all, the reason why it's called the octalysis, it's a combination between the word octagon and analysis. Okay. So visually, it's an octagon and it breaks down all human motivation to eight core drives. So everything we do is based mm-hmm. on one or more of these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of these eight core drives there, yeah. there's zero motivation. No behavior happens. Okay. And and then there's different natures of those core drives. There's some we call white hat motivation core drives, make people feel powerful and control. They feel good. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of urgency. And uh, so they procrastinate. And there's okay. what we call black hat motivation core drives, which make people feel urgent, obsessed. They're very, um, <laughs> they're really thrilled about it. But in the long run, if that's the only motivation, okay. uh, it could leave a bad taste in their mouths because they feel like they're not in control of their own behavior. Okay. And then we have what we call left brain versus right brain core drives. So left brain core drives deal with extrinsic motivation, things you do for a reward, a purpose, or a goal, but okay. you don't necessarily enjoy that activity itself. So once you obtain the reward, you hit your goals, you get used to the reward, it becomes stale, you stop mm-hmm. doing the behavior. Okay. Whereas right brain core drives uh, deal with intrinsic motivation, things you do just because you enjoy doing it. And mm. you would just, you would even pay money to experience that. And even if we lost all our progress the next day, we yeah. would still want to do that activity today because that's how we measure our quality of lives. You know, how, how much time we spend on things we just enjoy doing. Mm. So, so with that, that octagon, uh, we break down to eight core drives. So I'll quickly go through what those are. Core drive one is what we call epic meaning and calling. So it's it's basically doing something because you feel like a part of something bigger than yourself. And in a game, you'll see that theme about, oh, you know, the world's about to end, but somehow you're the only person qualified to save the world. Sure. So you're like, oh, it's very motivating. And so yeah. in the business world, 
uh, how it plays out is, you know, how people can feel like they're making a difference to the world in terms of charity, you know, okay. sustainability, there's yeah. some themes with honor. And so, um, you know, I've worked with, uh, customers where our clients, where when they give out these loyalty points, they, they say, one of the pains is that people are doing these actions, getting these points. And then they realize, um, after a whole month of activity, activity, they only, can redeem five dollars, and they totally. feel like, "Wow, my actions are worth are worthless." <laughs> yeah. But then it's like you can convert that to say, "Hey, instead of getting a five dollar gift card, you can uh, donate it, and actually, ten children wouldn't have to starve tonight because because of your points." And yeah. now you feel like, "Wow, I made a difference to ten kids today," and you feel like you're making the world a better place. Yeah. And that makes you want to stay with that experience more. And of course, a lot of uh, loyalty programs are theme based in terms of you know you're in a mission together, you're making the world better, or there's some more playful ones, you know, you're like the, in, in the superhero league. So the, all those all help with getting this epic meaning and calling feeling yeah. inside of a, instead of a loyalty program. So okay. core drive two is development accomplishment. And so this is basically uh, the feeling of progression, leveling up, achieving mastery that makes you feel excited. And mm-hmm. I think this is the most commonly understood and applied in the in the loyalty program world. So um, basically development development is points, right? Points and badges. Yeah. So it shows a sense of progression. So maybe you're, you're doing the same things over and over and over again. You see this number growing higher, the progress bar moving forward, and you feel like you're getting somewhere. And badges is what we call achievement symbols. It symbolizes a sense of accomplishment. So mm-hmm. achievement symbols can be many different forms. It could be uh, badges, trophies, uh, uniform changes, black belt, white belt, martial arts, uh, which of course is lended to uh, uh, quality management and Six Sigma. Sure. Uh, but the key thing is that it must symbolize an accomplishment. Mm. Uh, if you give people a badge for every silly thing they do, then it's just an icon. It really doesn't mean anything. Okay. Um, and and then some and so s- sometimes uh, loyalty programs use that. Obviously, already used in terms of like punch cards. You see growth numbers. Mm. You see numbers go up. That's common. Mm-hmm. I think from achievement standpoint, um, you know, what you do is you level up, you gain new status, right? In Starbucks, sure. you can, yeah. you can, aim, you can earn like a, a higher status and yeah. uh, airline miles, you get, you become gold member. And then ideally that also unlocks certain power. So that, that status and uh, status symbols that represent your new status is very useful. And one example is when I was working with a, a, a pretty large bank at a different country, I was saying that. Imagine if you have a high status member and every time they walk into the banking center, mm. uh, like they get a, they get sort of a pin, right? That yeah. says that. And they walk in, then everyone bows to them and says, welcome, you know, platinum member, honor member, <laughs> member of honor, right? And it's like, wow, how many times in your life do you get to feel like you're a king or totally. a queen, right? Yeah. And so, and so this is this is a nice look when you have the digital component, but also the brick and mortar, a brick and mortar kind of kind of experience that you can deliver. So it makes people high status. Now, um, what, uh, can I just add, uh, I just like the word you use there, Yukai, actually, it gives them power. And I do completely get the gaming um, idea of power. And I think it's exceptional when that does result, as you said, in the real world. Um, and my favorite example of that, as you said, in the airline industry, I remember when I first joined working with British Airways and I realized that gold card holders had priority access to the call center. Now, that is true power. Power for a busy, frequent flyer who has a problem with the flight booking, everything else may be totally irrelevant. So the, the transactional rewards, of course, but I just really like the word power that you used because that's what really matters in terms of the status is I get looked after when I need help from somebody. So I think it's a brilliant example. 
Yeah. One example that I think about right now, probably difficult for some companies to execute is, let's say you have a high status member checking in the airport, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, but we, but they realize, hey, this person's kind of like going late, uh, you know, uh, in terms of getting on the plane. So sure. let's say they get a call and says, hey, we, we know you checked in like pretty late, just four minutes ago, but don't worry, we're, we're, we're going to wait for you for until this time. And you said, wow, I got taken care of. Someone yeah. proactively reached out and told me not to worry. Yeah. Um, because usually at that, I, I've experienced that you're rushing with your luggage, you're running around, you're panting and that's all fine. I think we should rush because we're late, but the worst is like, maybe I'll miss my plane. I'll miss the important conference or speech. And totally. so just having someone says, Hey, we proactively reach out to tell you not to worry. You still have to, you know, hopefully increase your speed, but you don't have to emotionally worry. I yeah. think that will make people like, wow, I love this airline. I want to stick to this airline. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure all the operations people listening are, are are going, oh my God, that would be impossible. But you're right in principle. First of all, it is the mm-hmm. reassurance, as you've said. So, you know, reaching out to say, we know you're on your way. This is what we can do. Uh, get here by whatever time and, and we'll sort it out. I think that's a wonderful idea. So um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So what's the next core drive? So we're on core drive three, empowerment of creativity and feedback. Okay. So this is like Lego, Give users the basic building blocks and there's an infinite amount of ways for them to use their creativity, try different strategies, mm-hmm. see, combo, uh, see feedback and then go back and adjust. And it's very engaging. So this core drive deals with things like self-expression, meaningful choices, autonomy, um, and just allows people to do things in a non-linear way. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times people see like, like say a traditional punch card loyalty program as very linear. You yeah. buy 10 times, you get one free. You get buy 10 times, you get one free. There's no creativity involved. There's no expression yeah. of style. And so some easier ways to introduce this is to say, hey, you know, you're redeem. You know, do you want to uh, spend a few, uh, redeem right now and get a small reward? Or mm-hmm. do you want to save up for a big reward? That just introducing a little bit of a choice psychologically shows that makes people happier and, okay. and more engaged. Yeah, nice. and, or, and then so in gameplay, we have, you know, high risk, high reward strategy versus low risk, low reward strategy. Mm. Or there are things where you can get collectibles and the collectible allows you to dress up an avatar that look more interesting. So you're yeah. expressing your uniqueness. So anyway, any way that makes people feel like I am a unique human being and mm. you know, nice. 100 people going through this program will have 100 different types of outputs. That makes them feel happy. And that's, you know, that's on the right top of the octagon which means it's the white hat intrinsic motivation core drive. And nice. usually we see that as the longest type of engagement, like evergreen, every game in the world that's timeless has this core drive, like, you know, chess, wow. poker, maja, all those things. Okay. It's super powerful then. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's the hardest to implement sometimes, but it's the longest lasting <laughs> okay. once you have that. Okay. Good yeah. to know. Yes. I think creativity is something that, uh, yeah, certainly I always kind of aspire yeah. to being more creative. So yeah. Wonderful uh, to have those and, opportunities. And, and you'd actually see that, uh, you know, it's not driven by the company, but cons- uh, consumers still do that. So some people like me included would just start at one point, start pulling out a spreadsheet and figuring out how to optimize, right? Strategy, how to like, oh, all my, I need to use, all, buy all my groceries with this credit card. I need to move all my points here because it doesn't expire and I need to redeem on that. Yeah. And then so, and so once you pull off this, this optimization, the strategy, this creativity, then people just are set. They always stick to their strategy. It, it, even if it's like, oh, this is like two cents better than the other mm-hmm. strategy. 
They're okay. just like, this is my game plan. I got to stick to it. And they'll correct their spouses if they if they don't play the game correctly. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Brilliant. So that it's like constantly top of mind when, when you pull out the spreadsheet to optimize your, your yeah. level. Now, imagine if a company actually understands this and says, hey, we'll give you tools to, to, to optimize. And we have yes. different ways that you can strategize about how you're going to do that. Mm. Uh, I, I have seen like... Um, Bank of America has this this unique credit card that will say it's what we call a hunter's mark design, where it's like you get to choose every month for this one month what 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 do you want five x reward points on, and okay. so yeah. it's like well next month I'm gonna be digital I'm gonna buy a lot of digital products right so so you choose that and now you're obviously wanting to use this card to buy your digital product you want to want to use any other card but sure. then the other months like oh, I'm I'm traveling next month so I'm gonna switch switch it to travel. So now you feel like you're creatively playing this game and optimize it based on strategy. Sure, sure. Makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you're absolutely right. The US market in particular um, is so mature and there's a lot of people who understand the game of loyalty, particularly with credit cards. So there's incredible businesses built on the back of educating people with, you know, hack this and do that and whatever. So yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Yeah. So core drive four is ownership and possession. So this is basically because we feel like we own something, we want to protect it, we want to improve it, we want to get more of it. Mm -hmm. So this deals with things like virtual goods, virtual currencies. Um, it's it's the drive that makes us want to collect stamps or baseball cards. Uh, but it also has this more abstract concept, which is like if you invest a lot of time customizing your Facebook profile, Dropbox folders, or LinkedIn profile, mm. you feel more attachment hence ownership over that experience. And so even if a new technology comes out that's supposed to be better, we don't want to switch because, you know, this that system doesn't understand me. This one does. This one's my system. And so we can see that um, how it plays on a loyalty uh, program is sometimes we'll see it comes in the form of collectibles or puzzle pieces. So as you, every time you shop and whatnot, you'll yeah. get a, a random puzzle piece. And if mm -hmm. you get all the puzzle pieces, then that unlocks the big rewards. And the puzzle piece could be an interesting theme, a different a cool image. So it brings out a little bit of curiosity. Yeah. And it's not just the abstract number, like I got 17 points, now I got 48, now I got 120. It feels yeah. a little abstract, but if it's like, oh, I need to collect one of the 16 puzzle pieces that form the, let's say, uh, sponsor celebrity of this brand, mm. uh, then it's kind of exciting. Um, you know, and usually again, these collectibles, puzzle pieces or collectible items, they oftentimes should be themed well. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember working with La Quinta, which is a hotel brand. Yeah. And the collectibles they give out people who uh who participated in their program uh is related to La Quinta history. Like one is a sun symbol, it's like, oh, because La Quinta was created in this state where the sun where the sun shines bright, and mm -hmm. then there's all these components. So as you collect these these collectibles you'll start to learn about their history and what they stand for and feel more attached to their brand. Lovely. So I think that's pretty strong too. And uh, I won't go into too much detail, but some companies I'm working right now are also uh, incorporating uh, blockchain technology and uh, Web3 and NFTs into loyalty programs. Mm -hmm. So people feel a longer term attachment and uh, feel like there's interoperability. So the things they earn here can be used somewhere else too. 
Yeah, I know that's a, a passion topic, absolutely for you, you, you guys. So once we, uh, you know, go through the full framework, I definitely want to get a few even high level thoughts about Web 3.0 because it is a topic I think a lot of people are very curious and and very. I don't know whether concerned is the word, but you know they're just really not sure um, what the use mm -hmm. cases may be just yet. So maybe you can uh, help illuminate a little bit on that. But um, but anyway, sorry I interrupted. So. Yeah. No, and, and there are definitely a lot of uh, misconceptions and also bad players in, in any early industry that has a lot of hype, like Gamecation was the same way. So okay. we're happy to explore. Okay. And I do think that in the future, at one point, it will become uh, a pretty normal thing, just like we think about the Internet. Oh, wow. OK, wonderful. OK, that's reassuring. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so Core Drive 5, yeah. I think we're on now. Yeah. Yes. Core Drive 5 is social influence and relatedness. So okay. this is what you do based on what other people do think or say. So this deals with things like competition, collaboration, group quests, or gifting. Uh, it also has the relatedness piece, which are things like nostalgia. Like if you see a product that reminds you of your childhood, you automatically have a higher chance of buying the product. If you yeah. meet someone from the same hometown, let's say you're uh, working abroad, uh, you automatically have a higher chance of, uh, of striking a deal with that person. Yeah. So in the, in the loyalty world, uh, of course, a, a big motivation is get people to to share, right, and to bring friends into the system. So, uh, one simple example is like, let's say you have a restaurant, and if people instead of saying people come ten times and they get a free beer, what if it's you come ten times and you can treat three friends with free beer? Mm -hmm. So, so even though the cost is a little higher, instead of one free beer, you get three. But yeah. now this person's bringing three other people who may have, you know, never been this place before. And yeah. the person, and they're not getting a few dollars worth of value. They're actually, they actually feel like a VIP. They impress their friends, like, "Hey, I'm a VIP here, so beers on me, right?" And their friends <laughs> are like, "Wow, that's cool. I want to sign up and and be in this VIP program." So, so you turn like, "Oh, I just get rewards too. I get to uh, extrinsic rewards. I just I get to look cool in front of my friends and impress them, and then to do marketing." There's group quest designs, you know, and you've seen that in like Kickstarter, Indiegogo or Groupon, where it's like, hey, yeah. if you can get enough people to participate together, and yeah. you, then then it unlocks a major reward. And so you could definitely do things like that in the loyalty space, too. Well, I definitely relate to that idea, as you said, about the beer, for example, Yukai, because um, we would have um, had terminology just on a previous project I worked on where we we just had this idea that if you made somebody feel like a VIP, uh, we use the word a hero, um, that exactly had a, a very powerful way to create loyalty. And I mean, I don't know about you, for example, but certainly any of my friends, if we go for a beer, there's always a second beer and a third beer. So even though, as you said, you know, there is an initial higher reward cost in terms of saying we're giving you three free beers, I guarantee that, uh, you know, the upsell would there would would definitely pay off. So I think that works on every level. So and I know it's easier with beer um, in my own kind of loyalty career. I've given away a lot of chocolate. Um, so I always feel as long as there's either I used to say coffee or chocolate, those kind of things are pretty universal in terms of how welcome they are. So I think the same applies perhaps to beer. Yeah, I'm not a beer person, but I respect that beer <laughs> is highly influential in every single culture. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, core drive six is scarcity and impatience. So this basically 
is saying, you know, we want something simply because we can't have it or it's very difficult to obtain. Mm. So any type of exclusivity program, you have to reach a certain level of status before you can, before this even opens up as a possibility, Okay, uh, it applies. But there's also the scarcity in time. So uh, you have you have to really be there at this time or else you're going to miss the opportunity. So, and that creates urgency, right? So this is on the left bottom of the octagon, which is what called black hat extrinsic. So you're doing for a reward or an extrinsic factor, a goal, and mm-hmm. it's urgent, right? It's black and you feel a little out of control. And so I worked with a, uh, a loyalty program in, uh, in India. It's a restaurant loyalty program. And what they do is kind of interesting. Uh, when you uh, go to the restaurant and you, buy, not only do you get traditional loyalty points, you also get a raffle or lottery ticket. Okay. And every week, one, uh, they'll give out a free iPhone uh, to to one of the winners. Now, the thing that the mechanic is that the trick is that you only have five minutes in the week to see who was the winning number. So let's say I forgot what day, like Friday from 10 a.m. to 10.05 a.m. Okay, okay. And so so people are studying alarm clocks, right? They're engaged, they're waiting for that. And it's because if you can do it anytime, you might miss it. But it's like, oh, I have to. And then after those five minutes, you have an hour to redeem. So, so lots and lots of people just, wow. if anything, every week just starts to engage with that, that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, they, they're, they have millions of, uh, of users. So okay. one yeah. iPhone a week is less than a thousand dollars. So less than $4,000, they're engaging millions of people. So it's, it's wow. a really strong design there. Wonderful. I was going to ask exactly mm-hmm. that, you know, how, how um, widespread was this restaurant chain? It sounds like it might be throughout the whole country. Yeah, it's actually a loyalty program that works with a lot of loyalty, uh, with a okay. lot of restaurant joints. So. Got you, got you. Yeah, yeah. Super clever. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so that's the scarcity piece. And I like yes. the, so essentially and, you have to be there to 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 know that you've won. And as you said, then claim it within the hour, yeah? Yes. Super yeah, fun. on the app. To, okay, to check. on the app. Okay, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Okay, great. And I mentioned they do a lottery system, which actually pipes nicely into Core Drive 7, unpredictability and curiosity. Mm-hmm. So this is the core that says, because we don't know what's going to happen next, we're constantly thinking about it. Okay. So this is heavily utilized in the gambling uh, industry. But whenever we have a raffle ticket, a lottery, a, 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 a sweepstakes program or mystery box design, we yeah. have this core drive. Okay. It's also the drive that makes us want to finish a book or movie, which is why uh, we don't like spoilers. And, okay. <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, and yeah, so this is basically about delightful surprises. And one interesting example is Chase. They want more people to swipe their debit cards because they get more uh, margins from that. And so they create a program called Chase Picks Up the Tab, which is whenever you swipe with a debit card, there's a small chance that you get a text message that says, Chase to pick up your tab, uh, to pay, we pay for your bill. Your yeah. $5 will be credited back to your account. Have a nice day. So even though it's not a lot of money and the chances are very low, because it's so unexpected, uh, people are very delighted, very excited. It makes them mm. want to swipe more of their Chase card again. Yeah. Uh, it makes them want to tell their friends and their friends might want to sign up to uh, to see if they can play and win. Yeah. And, and I want to stress, this only works because it's unexpected. Let's say they publish their math and instead of an Easter egg design, it's a fixed action reward design. So let's say they said, hey, we're mm. doing a system where every thousand times you swipe your card, you'll get $5. And now people are doing their math. It's like, well, on average, I swipe $20 a time. So wow. After $20,000 of spending, I only get $5 back. These guys are greedy. I hate this company. I'm never going to work with this company again. Right? Okay. Yeah. It, it doesn't work 
as a fixed action reward design. But as Easter, because they don't expect at all, when they suddenly get it, they're like, wow, I'm so happy I got $5. So, <laughs> so that unpredictability in terms of core drive seven is what makes this, this mechanic work here. But but the one challenge that I've I've seen with that type of idea, Yukai, is as a loyalty program owner or manager, what do I how do I communicate that to, you know, a member? You know, because, you know, surely it's it's very difficult then to inspire people about something if it's only a possibility. And again, it's not it's not a huge reward. So so how have you seen maybe Chase in that example, you know, tell people about that? Do, do they openly say it's yeah. just a, a chance and enjoy yeah, the fun? So- when we think about experience design, we have four phases, discovery, onboarding, scaffolding, and endgame. Mm-hmm. And specifically, this is about discovery and onboarding, how people discover it and how does onboarding, what's yeah. the experience with onboarding and how do we communicate? Because obviously you're communicating not just loads of program, but what your business does, right? Your value proposition and all those things. Totally, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so that's a different challenge for every type of, uh, for different types of company. And you need to figure out from uh, mm. some, some of them play a video, some people, uh, but what you see with, specifically this type of reward, like lottery based, mm. is they will broadcast the winners regularly. They'll yes. say, hey, another lucky winner, another lucky winner. This person just won this reward. Sometimes they'll do a press thing, like interview them. What are you going to do with your new winnings, right? And so even though you don't know the mechanics of this, you see these publications like uh, of people winning and yeah. like, oh, wow, how do I learn? And there's probably a little button that says, like, what the, what is this? How do, how, do I, how do I get in on this action too? Yeah. Um, and if like those those are the big lottery rewards, right? If it's a small one, you could have a even have a feed that's just like constantly streaming says user five five three just won five dollars. What well, user five five? And if they choose their name like like Happy Bunny five just uh, on this, so you see this is like wow, like every every minute there's like seems to be a winner. What mm-hmm. is this? And so you entice them to to dig into it and learn about themselves. If you don't want to have this full blown like education session at the beginning of every experience. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. And one more is the eighth yeah, one. Cool. Yes. Core drive eight is loss and avoidance. Okay. And this is straightforward. You're doing something to avoid a loss. You don't want something bad to happen. It's the fear core drive. And uh, what we see here in, in uh, different online engagement programs is like, for instance, streak design. Now, what's interesting about streak design is that a lot of people think streak designs are about core drive to develop and accomplish. Yay, five days in row, 10 days in a row, I feel great. But inevitably, inevitably, it becomes core drive loss and avoidance because you, people just become afraid of losing their their streak, and they're afraid to like travel because they're they don't want to miss a day, mm. and it, and so this is again on the bottom. So it's it's a black hat motivation core drive in mm. the short term. As long as they're maintaining their streak, they are very engaged. They're very diligent, obsessed every day. They're on it. <laughs> But okay. they don't necessarily feel happy or comfortable because they feel like they have to go back. Mm. So the moment they lose their streak, that's when they burn out. They think, oh, wow, that was a good run. Uh, but I don't think I'll ever do like 200 days in a row. So I'm going to take a break and they're gone. Okay. So so it's important for people who are designing these engagement systems to know the pros and cons and consequences about various types of designs and how they all interwork with each other. So, yes. yeah, so those are the eight core drives and uh, and a small example uh, about how they can be implemented in the in the loyalty world and other other uh, systems. 
Yes. Well, absolutely. Like, thank you for that, Yukai. I know it's probably not easy uh, to do such a whirlwind tour of such depth of information. Um, and I did uh, think actually, as you were going through, what I'm guessing it sounds like is um, there's almost maybe the opportunity to combine um, the various core drives. So it's not that your loyalty strategy just focuses necessarily on one of the eight. You can absolutely combine them. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You can have an epic meaning calling theme. It grows into a status, but it and gives people a lot of meaningful choices. Bring social friends into the experience, allow you to level up faster, gives you boosters, mm. and then you get loyalty, and then you get lottery or raffle tickets as you keep going. So yeah, you, there's a lot of ways to combine okay. these concepts together to form mm. a custom experience uh, for your target audience. Okay. And you said to us then at the beginning, Yukai, that you published this, the pivot point you mentioned was kind of 2012, you published the Octalysis framework, and that's when I suppose global interest, awareness and recognition all came. So that's actually quite a long time, I guess, a decade now. Um, it looks like that framework has remained intact exactly as published. Have you seen trends? Are things changing, would you say, in the world of gamification? Because, you know, and, and maybe it is the Web 3.0 um, evolution, for example, but just to, as an industry or as, a, as a, a thought process, would you say that gamification has evolved in that time? Yeah, so the framework, uh, since 2012, uh, the first one or two years, there was about two or three small changes based on okay. some feedback, mm -hmm. uh, not major ones. Uh, just a quick example, Core Drive 5, social influence and relatedness, used to be called social pressure and envy. Okay, <laughs> uh, but it's it was not as inclusive, so I expanded that. Mm. Once the book was published about five six years ago, we sold a, a little over a thousand a uh, hundred thousand copies. Okay, and uh, you know there's a lot of pirated copies out there, so I can't count oh. those. Okay, um, yeah, but yeah, that hasn't changed much. And the nice thing is because this is not a technology trend. This is how the human brain works. Yeah, and the human brain doesn't change every 10, 20 years, right? So sure. So as yeah. long as you understand how the brain is driven by, you know, outside triggers, stimuli, how do, feel, how do people feel, appreciate, feel accomplished? I think that uh, that's an evergreen type of uh, knowledge and it's useful for uh, individuals and businesses alike. Now, mm. when it comes to the gamification industry itself, and this is what I've been pushing for a long time because the industry, I think also loyalty, I actually worked in uh, loyalty programs. I had a startup that ran uh, local loyalty programs for, for restaurants and chains. Mm -hmm. uh, 12, 14 years ago, okay. um, but it's heavily reliant on extrinsic motivation. So it's saying, hey, the activity is boring. You don't like it, but if you do this boring thing a lot, we'll give you rewards, you know, either monetary or status rewards. Mm. And, and so if you think about from engagement and a game design, it doesn't make sense. Like, hey, we're going to create a very boring game. And mm. if you play this boring game a lot, we'll give you some rewards, right? That yeah. doesn't make sense. So, so I want to say like, yeah, have rewards is good. But again, once the users get the rewards, they might not come back if the, if they if they don't care about it because humans have growing appetites. But rather, you want to make it more intrinsic. So the right brain cores are three, five, seven, and power mm. of creative feedback, social influence, and unpredictability. So mm. give people more meaningful choices. Everything's more intrinsically rewarding and enjoyable when it's social. Mm. Either it's competition, collaboration, mm. and give them delightful surprises. So when people interact with your brand and they feel more delighted they feel more excited it's interesting it's it's uh surprising and and it mm. brings out the curiosity they just want to interact with their brand more often 
as yeah. opposed to just being hooked on. And uh, a joke I say is uh, most loyalty programs out there are not real loyalty programs, they're mercenary programs. Because mm. if you go to whoever pays you the most, then by definition, you have no loyalty, right? You're a mercenary. Totally, totally. So I think it's important for brands to think about, you know, obviously you reward people extrinsically mm. to show that you respect them, you respect their patronage yeah. um, and you give back some and whatnot. But I think ultimately they want to ta- they want to become loyal to your brand in terms of your values your epic meaning and calling yeah. they want to be loyal to you because they they really love engaging with your experience as opposed to just hey yeah. i got 10 dollars so that's why i come back totally Totally. And I know there's some misconceptions as well, Yukai, that, um, you know, you tend to talk about that, you know, perhaps oversimplification of the um, the expertise that um, that you just talked us through. So what are the kind of myths in the industry or, you know, in terms of employing gamification? What kind of things frustrate you? Yeah, I think it's uh, like, first of all, a lot of people just think gamification is putting points and badges on things. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. And and when we think about game design, I've done workshops for 10 years and I like to ask people, what is their favorite game in the past and why? And it could be traditional games like Scrabble or poker. Yeah. And no one has ever said, oh, it's because they had points or badges, right? They'll say, oh, it's because I can play with my friends or my children, or I like the strategy aspect. I think it's really hard, which challenges me. And I think the, a lot of companies coming on saying, yeah, we do gamecation. And so we just put points and badges on. I think. Uh, has made a lot of people feel like, oh, game feature doesn't make any sense. It's very fluffy okay. uh, and we don't want to do it. Superficial, yeah. Yeah, and, okay. and to a greater extent, uh, just applying different game techniques, game design elements. So things like group mm. quests, uh, Easter eggs, power-ups. They just think, hey, if we just take some elements that are found in games and put it into your experience, it's automatically fun and successful. Yeah. And that also doesn't make sense because a lot of games out there are failures, majority of them. You know, we hear about the very successful ones. Yeah. And but all of them have game design elements in them. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense that you say, hey, if I just take these game elements that are even found in boring and failed games mm-hmm. into my product, my marketing, my loyalty program, it suddenly becomes successful and fun. And that's why I really focus on it's not the game elements, it's how it appeals to our core drives. Like you can give people badges, but they don't yeah. feel accomplished at all. You can give people a lot of social buttons, but they don't feel socially appreciated or connected with other people. Yeah. And so that's why my work, and I think one of the reasons why uh, I'm getting a lot of recognition in the industry is that I focus back onto the human, onto yeah. the, and with the empathetically how people feel, how to engage and motivate them, how to give them a yeah. sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's more powerful than saying, all right, let's, let's give them some shiny object mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a little mechanic there. Yeah, yeah, totally. So listen, um, I suppose the last kind of main area I wanted to touch on with you was all of the um, new books that you um, mentioned to us previously that you're working on. Um, so I won't uh, spoil it by by giving them away. I know there's three. So, well, I suppose the easiest one is an update to the book, the original one, Actionable Gamification. So I'll definitely make sure in the show notes that we link to wherever that's coming. So when is the updated version coming out of that, Yukai? I do hope it's 2023. Okay. Uh, I'm very stretched on many different projects. And <laughs> you know, you, you mentioning three books, most people are like, wow, that's that's a lot, right? That's a full-time uh, thing. Just there. Yeah. Sure. So, but the but the first book, um, I think it's a, a new edition is due. It's been five years. Okay. And um num- number one, I think I can have more modern examples. I think it would have a metaverse web three edition. 
cool. I think it'll update things. And over the five years, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about how people uh, learn mm. this uh, this content so I yeah. can improve some of the ways communicated. And right. also, you know, when I first wrote the book, I didn't know it was going to be successful. I could very, very well be those books that sell like nine copies of a year. <laughs> yeah. um, so in my book, I actually used a lot of like, language that's more defense like oh you may not believe me but here's the justification you know and i feel like i spent a lot of times like proving like oh if you don't believe me here's the proof okay uh, but i think now i know people read it and they do consume and they like it and i yeah. feel like i don't have to spend all this all this uh all these pages yeah uh doing that and i just have to say here's the knowledge here's how to use it and mm. people will accept it uh so i think there's some changes there that i want to make okay um yep so that's that's the that's the update. Hopefully new edition of the second book, yeah. Okay. Book. Okay. Yeah. And the other two, tell the audience then the other two books you're working on. Yeah. So the second book is titled 10,000 Hours of Play. And uh, so it's basically turning your life into your game. And that really changed my life since 03. So wow. um, instead of saying, how do I design programs for other people with programs, mm -hmm. this is about if you turn your life into a game, then everything you do will be much more effective, more enjoyable. So it's a it's a six step process mm -hmm. to to turn your life into a, a epic game you can play. So step one is defining your your game. You know what game are you playing in your life? What are you trying to accomplish in your life? Yeah, uh, is it about career success? Is it about saving the world through sustainability, creating peace? You know, just having yeah. a stable income, having a good family. Yeah. So you define the game. Then you kind of look into your attributes. So the talents you're born with, and there's a okay. methodology to do that. Mm -hmm. And then based on your attributes, you choose your role in the game. So it's like, if I want to uh, help with sustainability, protect the talent, the talent mm -hmm. or the planet, maybe I don't have the talent to become an engineer yeah. uh, and create machines that protect the environment, but maybe I have the talent to maybe become a diplomat and I can negotiate treaties that uh, yeah. are environmental friendly, or I become an activist or lobbyist or whatnot. Lovely. So you choose yeah. your role in the game based on your attributes. And then you understand, you identify what are the skill sets you need to learn to become very strong in that role. Mm. So identify what are the skills right now? What are the ultimate skills you need to have as the highest, the strongest diplomat on your earth server or, um, or the best engineer, right? And those are things you can take courses on. You listen to podcasts like this one. Yeah. Uh, you want to be the best loyalty professional in the world, yeah. right? That's, that's the role and that's the skills you need to learn. Yeah. Uh, and then the fifth one, the fifth step is to, uh, find allies. So people mm. who are playing the same game as you are, but mm -hmm. potentially with complementary skills. Yeah. So, you know, so if you, uh, you want to create a, a startup, uh, maybe you're a business type, then you want to find an engineer, a co-founder. Yeah. Uh, but maybe both of your business types, the one's more like marketing and sales, the other is more like uh, finance and mm. uh, operations, more organized. So you want to find people who are playing the same game. The last yeah. step is about uh, conquering quests. So identifying what are the things you can do mm -hmm. to acquire the skills you need, push towards the game objective and grow with your allies. So it could be finding an internship. It could be reading a book. It could be, go volunteer in uh, in a, a different country for a while or mm. just, you know, continue on pushing out your, your current job. Mm. So it's, these quests allow you to improve your skill sets, level up, and mm -hmm. also uh, not only level up with your teammates and uh, your allies, but also grow chemistry with each other. So you can, so you actually uh, uh, bond better and can do even bigger things in the future. 
I love that actually, Yukai, because, you know, sometimes I find it exhausting, you know, all of the talk about hustle and success and all the, you know, the way that, you know, particularly I would say the Western world tends to view, you know, how we should live our lives. You know, it really doesn't feel like a game. It feels sometimes like a bit of a chore. So I like the fact that you're reframing life, that it can be made into this really fun everyday experience where, you know, as you you said literally gamify your life yeah and i think life is like a game a game is that you have an objective yeah. you have obstacles before mm-hmm. getting there and you have your current resources the game is using your current resources overcome the obstacles yeah. and reach your objective and cool. that's much more like life and work than what school <laughs> teaches like most people's work is not memorizing a lot of information regurgitating on a piece of paper totally right? totally and so i feel like i've learned so much more from games in terms of tackling life issues yeah. than than actually from school unfortunately <laughs> well i think your parents must be thrilled that all those hours playing whatever that game was in the beginning you mentioned have actually manifested into something that's incredibly powerful and impactful in the business world yeah, at the beginning of my journey, they were very skeptical. They were <laughs> they wanted me to stop fooling around and and focus on important things. But then, as my yeah. uh, career started growing, and you know, and by all metrics, I'm a successful yeah. uh, business field person. Then they're like, "Oh, we always supported our son." <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so. great, great. And when is that book coming coming out? Then the Game of Fire Your Life one. This one, I don't know. Hopefully. Uh, late next year, but okay. probably mid 2024 is my okay. guess. I we'll have to wait. Actually, okay. there's a new there's a new effort to push progress on that uh, okay. because my uh, my Web three company uh, wants to also uh, push that knowledge out about turning your life into a game. So maybe that's going to accelerate the book going okay. coming out too. Brilliant. And then the third one, then something I think it's about uh, yeah. rebuilding Ukraine. Yeah. So the third one, uh, still super preliminary and there's not a lot I can share, but I can just say that uh, I did have the opportunity to uh, work with uh, Zelensky's team wow. and uh, you know people who, who really liked my book. And they actually wanted to apply my book to become a required reading for the school system in Ukraine Wow! Um, because they saw Ukraine as the third largest software development nation in terms of headcount. Wow. Uh, but it's mostly outsourced software. So, and they wanted to figure out how to do more original IP. And I thought gamecation was a very important yeah. piece. Yeah. So initially I was supposed to go uh, fly to Ukraine and meet with Zelensky in uh, January of this year, but then Omicron broke out and they said, ah, oh, a little risky, let's delay to March. Oh, and bless. of course something else very inconvenient happened uh, during that time. And so that was kind of like, cancel. like, okay, well, I guess this project is done, donezo. Yeah, uh, people won't care about learning gamification when they're being bombed, right? Sure. Uh, but then months later, um, you know, someone who works very close with him reached out again and said, "Hey, we have new interest to say, like, can you can we help? Can we figure out how to uh, design the rebuilding of Ukraine after the war? Because it's clean slate, uh, starting from scratch, and we can really think about how democracy yeah. should go. Um, you know, the economy should go, education, and I think that's a and it's going to start off with a book. So I think I find that a very exciting opportunity, but yeah. it's still very, very preliminary. So I'm not, so uh, I wouldn't say like, yeah, wait for the book. It's going to come out. Yeah. Uh, we're still discussing the scope and the details, but I think because yeah. my main epic meaning calling is impact, I want, I found something useful, uh, some useful framework and skill, and I'd like yeah. to apply it to improve the lives as many people as possible. So helping uh, people in Ukraine with the skills that I have, I'm just, 
it's just very, it just excites me and I'm very passionate about it. I was going to say to me, I'm actually blown away, actually, uh, to be honest, you, Kai, that you know, you know, in the the depths of of you know devastation that they're in, that there is that level of human spirit, um, which is already assuming victory, um, uh, looking to rebuild the country and reaching out to global experts like you, um, to to support them and and literally to be so focused on the future. I'm actually, I think that's absolutely extraordinary. So, um, yeah. yeah. I like my mind is blown because we already work with uh, Ukraine design and development firms when the war started. Okay. And then we said like, oh yeah, like you don't have to show up to our meetings anymore. You know, you know we understand like this is a very extreme situation. And they're like, no, no, we still want to do work. We want to show up. And, they, and they're telling wow. us that during the day they're doing work for us. During the night, they have to pick up their guns and do like uh, patrol duty. And... God. And they said the work for uh, do, the design developer for my company uh, keeps their mind off of the the horrors and the war. So like I, I've wow. nothing but respect for these people. Incredible, incredible. On that note, I've certainly asked, and I could probably talk to you for at least another hour, Yukai, but I uh, just want to give you one opportunity. Is there anything I've missed that you want to mention? We'll obviously make sure to link to your homepage, your, your own website, mm-hmm. com. We will link to your LinkedIn profile, of course, and your book mm-hmm. on Amazon. Is there anything else you want to mention for our audience before we wrap up? Uh, we just had a quick uh, uh uh, chat on the Web3 aspect and the yes. NFT stuff. And yeah. so um, I know a lot of people feel like the NFT stuff is kind of confusing, but I, like I said, a lot of technology at the beginning is confusing. You know, how the internet, the internet was weird. Uh, yeah. I remember when I first got paid on by PayPal by, by selling something on eBay, my parents didn't believe that was real money. Wow. Um, and only when I transferred it to the bank, they're like, now, oh, it's real money. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I think a lot, and Uber was strange, right? And getting on someone's car, Airbnb is strange. So a lot of trends at the beginning just seemed really, really strange. And that's the same with blockchain and Web3. Yeah. So this is the NFTs. And I do think the NFT market is a lot of time overhyped. Um, but there's intrinsic value in the sense that an example I give people is that, you know, I sold over 100,000 books and those books are fungible. So people just want the knowledge, the text. So the ebook's just as good. The audiobook is just like the, the, the item itself didn't matter. Yeah. But in my lifetime, I've signed about two to 300 books. And those books are non-fungible. So they're unique. They're different. You know, people can trade and they're, they're not the same thing. Um, yeah. And so it creates a deeper relationship with an author, with a brand, whatnot. And so this is what, and so the same concept taken to the digital world is that NFT is a digital item that you can just infinitely replicate. It either has a unique number or yeah. uh, there's something serious. So if you love the artist, you like you like the basketball player, you like this concept, you believe in this vision this, of women empowerment, and you, you own one of their unique NFTs, then you feel like you have something that mm. that is a better relationship with this movement. Yeah. And so I think when we explain it that way, instead of say, oh, look, this stupid picture sold for $2 million, you know, then it's like, oh, that concept is understandable, whether the, the valuation is too high or not. And, and so this led me to uh, a new company I started called um, Metablocks. And it's, it's, it's not about, you know, some game or selling some fun things. It's literally, I started because a long-term friend and partner who works at Google, he said that, oh, Google's starting to charge for Google Photos. And he says that 40 years later, his uh, grandchildren might not want to pay for grandpa, grandpa's Google Photos forever, right? Yeah. Uh, in which case, all his memories, all of those will be deleted and, and they're gone. And he says, and Google could also shut down the service if they want, whenever they wanted. And also uh, they could possibly go out of business. And he says, 
how do we preserve our memories, right? Uh, that mm. are all now digitized. Yeah. And so this is when I thought about blockchain technology was perfect for this because um, blockchain is about decentralization. So instead of one company holding all this stuff in one server, it's mm. a lot of computers all storing it and managing it uh, in a decentralized way. So I thought now, even though the technology is timeless, it's, it's connected to a lot of temporary projects. Like, oh, look at this fun game. Look at this funny picture. Mm. And I feel like a blockchain... Uh, a timeless technology connected timeless concepts like preserving your memories mm. and also real estate. So we launched MetaBlocks and it's really about real world places, real life memories. So it's basically people can own uh, represent representations of real life locations like uh, mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco, New York, Singapore. Yeah. And so they can own that, that location, but to level that up and make it more valuable, uh, they have to start collecting memories related to the location. So it's like important things, big things like, uh, oh, this is where Steve Jobs met Steve Wozniak, or this is where Michael Jordan practiced basketball mm. when he was growing up. But mm. it could just be local, like, hey, this local chef that everyone enjoyed, this is where he learned, right? So every every location has things that are worth preserving for future generations. And so again, mm. long story short, that's just, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a kind of like a real estate Web3 game to preserve okay. humanity's most important memories. Okay. And if we link to that as well, Yukai, people can go in and, and understand how to support the Meta, uh, Metablocks project. Is that, uh, is yes. that fair to say? Yes. Yeah? Yes. yes. So it's metablocks.co and okay. they can go there. Then they don't, and, uh, you know, they can buy the NFTs if they want to, but, but you know, if they don't want to, mm -hmm. uh, it would be really helpful for the movement if they just say, hey, I have memories and photos of this location in the cities that we have. Yeah. And they just submit those photos and memories and have a little write-up of the context. And that will help us okay like preserve this this is a, this is a memory preservation project basically okay i'm gonna have a go i have no idea uh how it's gonna go but i will go in and you know add some memories to to your project just for fun and just to learn how it all works so i'll be dying to hear the how that progresses over time and please god you'll come back on the show in another year or who knows uh to fill us in on all of the latest thinking so with that said i have loved the conversation and um, really happy to see all of the work that you're doing so so I uh, just want to say Yukai Cho, founding partner and chief creation officer for the Optalysis Group. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you for having me. This show is brought to you by the Australian Loyalty Association, the leading organization for loyalty professionals in Asia Pacific. Visit their news and content hub for the latest loyalty insights from around the world. Or why not submit your own article for publication? For more information on their loyalty services and networking opportunities, visit AustralianLoyaltyAssociation.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favourite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.